Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? Oh, let's try that one more time. Good morning, Southview. How are we? Oh, there we go. Welcome. Hey, listen, the first, the first service has an excuse that coffee hasn't kicked in yet. You guys, you should be rolling, okay? But we're glad to have you with us. Uh, if you are a guest, welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's so great to have you worshiping with us. If you are a guest, we'd love to connect with you. Best, easiest way you can do that right now at this second is to grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, CONNECT, to 910-424-1298. Just text CONNECT. We'll send you a link, tap on that, answer a couple of questions, and so we can connect with you, know who you are, how we can minister to you in the best way possible, but we're so glad that you're here. And for everyone here today, we've got our big three announcements. We do this every week. Our big three so that you know what's going on, so you can stay plugged in and engaged with us as a church. First is this, men's breakfast. We do about four a year. Our next one's going to be Saturday, August 7th. Guys, text BREAKFAST to 910-424-1298 to sign up for that. Just text BREAKFAST. Second, deacon nomination. So for us, what we believe the Bible teaches is that God has set up two specific offices for the church, pastor and deacon, all right? So pastors shepherd and lead, deacons minister and serve. And so for you, if you grew up, especially in a Baptist church, maybe we do deacons a little differently than you experienced growing up. For us, our deacons have zero voting authority. That's not what they do. Because we don't believe the Bible gave them that authority, um, deacons minister and serve. So that's how we set our, our deacons up here. They're ministers, they serve the church, and they do a phenomenal job. The way that we set it up here is that we give each deacon a group of families, and that deacon is sort of first contact ministry for those families. And, uh, boy, they just do amazing. Every week, I'm on a texting thread with our deacons, uh, and I am constantly, almost daily, getting texting updates. Uh, pray for this family. Pray for this family. Pray for this family because they're so connected and plugged in with what the needs are and how we need to minister and serve. And so uh, it's that time of year for us to nominate new deacons to serve in that role. So what we're asking you for the month of July is just to pray, all right? Uh, look over Acts chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and just pray that God would bring someone to your mind to potentially uh, nominate to serve in that capacity. And, and come August, we'll give you some instructions as to how to go through that nomination process. But just spend this month praying, asking God to uh, perhaps reveal to you who could serve in that role. If you're new here, which is like half of you, welcome. Um, and you may be thinking, I don't know anyone. That's all right, okay? You don't have to just go, what's your name? Bob. There we go, right? Don't do that. But just, you know, as uh, the next year rolls along and you get to know people, you're plugged into groups and journey groups and Bible studies, you get to know people, then maybe you have someone to nominate next year. But um, if you are connected, please, uh, please do so. And then last is this, giving online. Uh, want to give a little bit of an update for our giving. We just finished the first half of the year, January through June. Giving was phenomenal. We're above budget in giving, so praise the Lord for that. Give God a hand for that. That is Him. 
he did that. He is so gracious to bless and empower his people with the ability to give. And he does that. And you are so faithful to be obedient to him in that. Thank you. Uh, and so we are experiencing much blessing. So we want to continue uh, to give and be faithful in giving. Best, easiest way you can do that is to give online by downloading our church app. You can do that through iTunes or Google Play. Download the Southview Baptist Church app uh, and just give through that. And that's also through the app. You're going to find all the other announcements, everything that's going on, find a journey group, all those sorts of things. But we encourage you to give. Be continue to be faithful in that. If you prefer not to give online, we've got buckets on the side. We have a locked giving box down the office hallway. You can give in any of those ways that you'd like as well. But just, again, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your giving. We praise God for his faithfulness to us. And we encourage you to keep being faithful in that. Uh, well, I want to read a scripture to us to begin our time here today. Ephesians chapter 1. This is a scripture that I read and pray over personally often. Um, this is a scripture that I, I'm constantly praying this scripture and inserting people's names in it. I go back to this one a lot, and I've read it here during our worship time uh, many times, and so I want to do it again because I really believe it's kind of where the rubber meets the road. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. So the Apostle Paul is writing this, and he's writing this to his church in Ephesus. Uh, and, and the Bible is so important. It's not just what the Bible says, but when it says it and how it says it. So if you read the book of Ephesus, what you find in that Ephesian church is they got a lot of issues, to be quite honest. They have false teachers teaching false doctrine. Uh, they've got marriage issues in the church. They have kid issues in the church. Kids not being obedient to parents. Parents being jerks to their kids, right? All kinds of problems going on. They've got division in the church. This group over here and that group over here. And how do we come together? Sounds a little bit like a Baptist church. But the interesting thing about the book of Ephesians is the Apostle Paul doesn't jump into any of those right out of the gate. First thing he does in Ephesians 1 is pray. And not only that he prays, but again, what he prays. He doesn't pray, God, fix their marriages. God, fix their division. God, make that kid not be crazy. What does he do? He prays that they would have the eyes of their heart open to really see who God is. And the reason is why. Here's why. If you begin to see who God is, and pursue him for who he truly is, all these other issues become much clearer. When you see God for who God is, you begin to finally see what's going on around you for what it truly is. So the first and most important thing is that we would see God for who he is, pursue him for who he is, delight in him for who he is, and then trust him as we pray and walk through the rest of this. So this is our prayer for you today, that God would open up the eyes of your heart to see him for who he truly is. And then by his grace, empower you to walk through whatever else that is going on in your life. All important things, necessary things to work through and pray through and figure out. But our first and ultimate priority is that we would see God for who he is. And then through that, finally be able to see everything else for what it is. So I want to ask you to bow your heads for me. I want to pray over you. 
as we worship here today, I want to ask that that's exactly what God will do. That He will, in this room right now today, open up the eyes of our heart to see Him for who He truly is. I pray, God, at this moment right now and throughout this next hour as we worship and sing and pray and look at your word and respond to you, all these things, I pray, God, that as we're doing that, I just envision right now light bulbs popping off. As you are enlightening our hearts, as you're flipping on the switch for us to see clearly, God, who you are. I pray, God, for things in our hearts that are stopping us from seeing you for who you are. I pray, God, for hearts that are filled with bitterness and unforgiveness. I pray, God, for hearts that are filled with unconfessed sin, things they're trying to hide from people and foolishly from you. I pray, God, hearts that are filled up with wrong teaching and ideas about who you are that someone else told them and put into them, and so now they think weird things about you that stop them from really seeing who you are. God, I pray wherever those things exist in this room, and I believe all of that and much more exists right here in this room, I pray, God, where that does exist, God, that you would allow, by your grace, Holy Spirit, you to remove those and allow people to start to see you for who you truly are so they can be drawn to you. Do this work in us today for your glory trust you for this today. We thank you for this today. We believe by faith that you're doing this right here in this room today. We praise you, God, for that. Continue, Lord, to do this. Thank you for your amazing, awesome, jaw-dropping grace that works so powerfully in us, your people. Empower us as we worship you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand. Let's worship God together. Morning, church. Let's do just that. Let's worship an amazing God worthy of all praise and glory. Let's sing the power of sin and darkness, whose love is mighty and so much stronger, the King of glory, the King above all kings, yes. who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder, who leaves us
above all names, Jesus. Bless your holy name today as we sing and celebrate.
All right, so we're going to learn a new song today, church, and the name of the song is Living God. And as we studied it, these scriptures in particular jumped out of me. It says, Lord, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. I love that. The God. The only God. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Who is like you among the gods, Lord? He says, who is like your you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders. The truth is, church, that we have a, if we have a saving relationship with Christ Jesus, not only are you called to sing, not only do you have a reason to sing, but you are obligated to sing, and not just sing, but to celebrate, right, to praise through how you speak to one another, how you conduct yourself in life how we gather together, how we encourage the body, how we pray, all for the glory of the, the one who is risen, Christ Jesus. I pray simply, Lord, that you would inhabit our praises today, that you would cause the lost to be found, that you would cause the broken to be healed. God, that you would cause us more than anything to just stand and notice and see and proclaim your majesty and your greatness and your holiness and your righteousness. You are living God. You are alive and you inhabit your people. So move in us, Lord. Cause us to worship you. Cause us to celebrate in Christ's name. Amen. of the living God I take you the goodness of your love I lean closer to my father's heart I trust in who you say you are you are alive living and breathing here in this place
going to ask you to just have a seat this morning. We're going to spend a little time praying together. And what a fantastic song to lead us into a time of prayer. Just lifting our voices and professing to the Lord that He is great and nothing is going to stop Him or hold Him. And therefore, I trust Him in everything. What a great, great song to lead us into our prayer. You know, as Jesus was teaching his people to pray, he started out in Matthew chapter 6 with the first line of that Lord's Prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus teaches to pray, he, again, how all the Bible connects, right? He's doing the exact same thing that Paul is doing in Ephesians 1 because I believe Paul learned it from Jesus. Jesus says we, we focus first on God and who God is and let that be the driving force for our prayer. So often, I can speak for myself, I don't want to throw anyone else under the bus, but for me, oftentimes when my prayers are, they feel unfruitful and even a little frustrating, usually because my prayers are focused primarily on me and what I think my problems are and not first and foremost on God now there's going to come a point where obviously we present our request to him Jesus tells us to do that in the Lord's Prayer but first and foremost is our attention our focus our heart just on who God is I want to encourage you to bow your heads just for a moment I want us to, to enter into a time of prayer. The, um, the key to, to you having a more fruitful and empowered prayer life isn't you learning a better strategy. It's you having the eyes of your heart open to see who this amazing God is that you're praying to. Right? The key to us having in our church service a worship that is spirit-filled and empowered it's not the answer for that isn't to make sure the band plays your favorite song the answer for that is do we know this great amazing God with whom we worship the, the key to you getting the most out of our time in the word here in just a moment isn't just me doing a good job teaching it it's it's the Holy Spirit allowing all of our hearts to be open to see who this great God is that the scriptures are pointing us to so I want us to start this morning. I want to encourage you to pray for yourself, right? Be like if you're, whenever you're flying, the flight attendant gives those instructions and says, you know, in case, you know, cavern pressure uh, issues happen, these masks are going to drop down. If you're traveling with someone who needs assistance, help yourself first, get it on first, then them. Jesus would uh, say, take the log out of your own eye, then worry about the speck in someone else's eye. So let's take just a second and, and ask the Holy Spirit to, to work in our hearts, to open up the, the eyes of our own hearts so that we would see first and foremost who God truly is. So take just a minute, set that before the Lord in prayer. Ask for yourself that God will open the eyes of your heart to see Him for who He truly is.
Let's pray for the body as a whole. Pray for the church. Pray for those in this room. Pray for those around you. If someone specifically comes to your mind, pray for them. If it's just a general prayer for the church, pray generally for the church. Just take just a minute and ask that the Lord would corporately for all of us have the eyes of our hearts open to see God for who he truly is. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are our great dad. You love us so intimately, and we can come running to you. We know that you're going to hear us and receive us. Thank you that your word speaks of you, God. Again, as this great dad who, when his kids come to him in need, if some random person calls me in the middle of the night I'm going to let that go to voicemail and check it in the morning but if I hear my kids calling out in help I jump up and I go and God that's the way you describe yourself to us I pray God for us here in this room that we will see you God for who you are a close intimate dad who loves us promises to give all that is needed to your kids in the world. And not only are you our father, but you are a father with a holy, hallowed, supreme name. In other words, you are above all. You are mighty and powerful and sovereign and in control of all things. And you are totally other from us. So I pray God that that the truth of who you are is real in us as well as a holy other sovereign Lord and that we would come to you in fear, a, a good fear, a fear of knowing that you are worthy of all control and all honor and that we submit ourselves totally to you and trust you in everything that you say and do. God, give us eyes to see who you really are, Lord, that we would run to you with all that we have. Do this in us, God, for your glory. Open up the eyes of our hearts that we would see you for who you are today. We ask this, Lord, in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. All right. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's find Acts chapter 12 together. All right. Acts chapter 12. We're working our way through the book of Acts. We find ourselves today in chapter 12. So we've been going through Acts for all of 2021, and we will continue to do that probably through the summer. We'll be done when the summer is finished, and when by the time school cranks back up, we'll be rolling into something else around September. But as we're going through the book of Acts, what we're wanting to do is to see, again, who God is and what He has called us to as His people. So as you read your New Testament, you're going to see the word church reference throughout the New Testament. And in the Greek, that word is ekklesia. And that word is really important. The word ekklesia means a called out group of people 
who are on a mission, right? So in other words, we are the ecclesia. We're the ones called out by God and sent off on a very specific, important mission. That's the ecclesia. That's the church that God has bought out of this world, placed into his family, and sent off on a mission to push forward his kingdom, right? That's the ecclesia. That's the biblical church. Converse that with our English word church actually comes from a German word, kirk. And the German word for church doesn't mean a called out group of people sent forward on a mission. Our English word church comes from a word meaning a building someone goes to for religious activity. You, you see the difference? Jesus' plan was to call out a group of people and send them off on his mission. And we've turned it into a location that we go to so that professionals can perform religious services for us. And I would submit how the vast majority of the Western world does church is in direct opposition to what the Bible actually would want us to see as church. And so as we go through the book of Acts, that's kind of one of the things we've been wanting to look at. How does the Bible define the way a church should function, see themselves and push forward the mission of God. So as we're doing that, we're going to be in chapter 12 today, and we're going to see specifically how prayer plays a role in this, all right? Prayer is vital to the kingdom of God. My uh, church hero, Charles Spurgeon, said he would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. Because prayer does infinitely more than any one guy talking ever could. But I want to read a, uh, a quote to you by a man named Samuel Zwimmer. So Samuel Zwimmer was one of the pioneers of mission work for Muslims in the Middle East. Just a, a I mean, a, to call him a man of faith and bravery would be an understatement of the century. He stepped into the closed-off Muslim world in a time where it almost meant certain death, and he jumped in with faith and saw great work for the kingdom of God. Listen to how Samuel Zwimmer talks about prayer and the mission of God in the church. Listen to what he says. The history of missions is the history of answered prayer. I am convinced that when we stand before God, we will discover that every single soul ever brought to a knowledge of Christ was in some way related to intercessory prayer. Prayer means everything for advancing the kingdom of God. And apart from prayer, we will accomplish little in true, lasting, eternal fruit. So with this in mind, we're going to jump into Acts chapter 12. We're going to see a little bit of the prayer life of this early church and what that might mean for us. So let's jump in. Acts chapter 12. Let's pick it up in verse 1, all right? Acts 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Okay, so real quick, James, if you read through the Gospels, you'll, you'll remember that Jesus called 12 disciples, right, sort of the, 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 the key leaders, and then from within that he had a group of three that he seemed to be extremely close with, Peter, James, and John. That James just got beheaded by Herod, all right? 
so here's what happens next, verse 3. When he, Herod, saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So he just, so Herod killed James, saw that that pleased the Jewish leaders, and thought, ooh, well, if that was great, they're going to love it when I kill Peter, arrested Peter, and put Peter in maximum security prison, all right? He surrounded him with four squads of soldiers, because Herod remembers the last time Peter was in jail, an angel ninja came in and snuck him out. So Herod's like, oh, that ain't going to happen again. Put four squads of soldiers around this one guy, Peter. I'm like, let's see if this works. Uh, I don't want to spoil it for you, but it doesn't work. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. But, underline this, we're going to come back to it. Big point for the day. Verse 5. Peter was in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now. When Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. So they had Peter chained up with multiple chains to two different guards, and then a whole different set of guards outside to make sure nothing can come in. They're like, we got him. Right? feel like I'm wrestling with my little kids, right? And so they get on me. And if you're a dad, like, you know, so they got you. And so what do you ask? Like, you got me? Are you ready? We got you. Are you sure? We got you. And then, plow, you just throw them across the room and character building, right? So they think they got him. But here's what happens. Verse 7. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. I love this. A quick little uh, interesting textual note there in verse 7 when it says, um, He struck Peter on the side. The Greek word for struck is a very strong word in a strong tense. It literally means the angel punched him, which I just think is funny. Right? That adds nothing to the story. I just think it's awesome. Angels like coming in like, oh, Peter's asleep. Wow! Right? Just nail him just to wake him up. Like, it's an angel. He could have done it any way he wanted to. The angel was like, God gave me freedom on this one. I'm just going to drop an elbow. Let's see what happens. It's kind of like you as a wife, if your husband's sleeping and you punch him to wake him up and then try to go to sleep before he goes back to sleep, it's biblical. It's exactly what the angel did right here. So, Get up quickly, the chains fell off his hands, verse 8. And an angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When he had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened for them of its own accord. Like you go to the grocery store, and the doors just go whoop. That's what the iron gate did, right? Just went whoop. Opened for him. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Verse 11. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure 
that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So real quick with that. So he goes to this lady's house, Mary. Her son is John Mark. It's believed perhaps the same Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark, right? This guy. So, but not an apostle, right? Not one of the original disciples, right? He's not Peter and the boys. It's, they're just average church members opening up their house for people to come and pray. It's like this is, this is their journey group, right? Peter's in trouble. They gather the journey group together, and they're praying, asking the Lord to do something great. Verse 13. So Peter's out. He comes on. Verse 13. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Verse 14, recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. What? Have you ever been so excited about something you momentarily stopped thinking? This is Rhoda. Right? This thing happened. She's so excited. Peter's out front. She goes and sees Peter. She's like, Peter's here. And then she runs away. And Peter's must be outside going, excuse me. Right? I just escaped from death row maximum security prison. Anytime you want to let me in, will be awesome. So listen to what people inside thought. Verse 15. So she runs in and says, Peter's here. Verse 15. They said to her, you are out of your mind. Remember. What are they at this house doing? Praying for Peter. Peter shows up. Rhoda comes in and says, Peter's here. They literally, they're in the middle of, Lord Jesus, deliver Peter. Peter's here. You're crazy. Right? Have you ever prayed for something, but in all honesty, you didn't really think God was going to do it? She kept insisting, verse 15, that it was so. So they kept saying, it is his ghost. Really? It must be his ghost. They think he's already dead. Right? They're praying for his deliverance. But in their mind, they're pretty sure he's going to die. And so when something looking like Peter shows up, they assume it's his ghost. Verse 16. But Peter continued knocking. I bet he did. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. Verse 17, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, like, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James. That's the brother of Jesus. Not the one that just died, but different James, brother of Jesus. And to the brothers, the other apostles. Then he departed and went to another place. All right, so here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at two big ideas. I want us to look at today what they prayed and how they prayed it. And then we'll kind of from that discern what does this mean for us and our personal prayer lives and for the prayer life of us as a congregation. All right, so what they prayed, how they prayed it. Let's start first with what they prayed. So we actually don't have in Acts chapter 12 a recounting of the prayers that they specifically prayed. We don't have it. But I think what we can do is go back in the book of Acts to similar situations that we do see what they prayed, and from that kind of discern, well, this is probably, they probably prayed the same thing, right? So in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested, beaten, um, 
uh, told, don't ever preach in this name ever, ever, ever again. The church gathers together to pray after that. And then Acts 4, 29 and 30, listen to how they pray. So they're faced with imprisonment, impossible death, and persecution, and all kinds of threats. And here's how they prayed that time in Acts 4, 29 and 30. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they were in a similar situation where there was persecution and threats and danger. And how did they respond? They didn't respond by going, oh God, what are we going to do? And oh God, help us. And oh God, surround us with a hedge of protection. Just a hedge, not a whole bush, just a hedge. I don't know why we pray that. Hedge of protection. They didn't do that. What did they pray? God, give us boldness. As strong as your threats might be, make our boldness even stronger. They're praying fervently for the advancement of the kingdom. What is the church praying? The church prayed for the advancement of God's kingdom. I want to read a quote to you by uh, Dr. John Piper. It's a, it's a few sentences long, so listen. But I think he's doing a really good job of articulating the wrong way we think about prayer and the correct biblical way we should think about prayer. So listen to this. He says, prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. Until you know that life is prayer, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. What Piper is saying is, the purpose of prayer is to be understanding that we are in a spiritual battle and prayer is used as this wartime walkie-talkie, talking to our general, getting directions, pushing forward his kingdom, pushing forward the mission. It is a wartime communication tool. Not an intercom to call to the kitchen asking dad to bring you more Pop-Tarts. But that is exactly what most of our prayers are. Many of our prayers are ultimately about comfort and peace and prosperity, not the advancement of God's kingdom. What do you pray? What do you pray? We lose track of our prayers. We get lost in our prayers because we have no focus to guide us. And what I want you to understand today is that focus is supposed to be the advancement of the kingdom of God. So think about it like this. So this week, my family and I, we took a, a, a day trip down to the beach, right? We was like, hey, it's a hot day. Let's, uh, let's run down to the beach for the day. So we go down to the beach. We're hanging out. We're on the beach, you know. And after we've been there a few hours, there was a family in front of us, had a couple of young kids. So they're, they're playing. We're, our kids are playing. And uh, so as we're sitting there, Marie, my wife, you know, gives me an elbow and she says, she looks at the mom and says, I know that look. She's missing a kid. And so I look at her and she's just, she's doing this, right? And the dad is walking. So I jump up and I run over there and I say, all right, who are we looking for? What are they wearing? It's like 12-year-old girl, 
black and white bathing suit. Her name is Paige. Okay, so we're just, we're, we're combing. We're looking. We're everywhere. Walking up and down the beach, looking in the water. I'm, like, I'm looking at the ocean going, okay, current's going this way. If she got in the water, she probably drifted down, so let me go there. Right? We're looking everywhere. Finally, I hear someone yelling, got it. Right? The whole thing lasted probably 15 minutes, but if you've ever been in that spot, you know it feels like 15 hours, correct? And so they got the little girl. You know what happened? So it was time to leave. They're packing up. The little girl wanted to do one last time in the water. Said, okay, fine, go ahead. Right? Mom and dad knew, so she jumped in the water. They're packing everything up, take down the umbrella, put up the chairs, put everything in the wagon. So as you're in the ocean, right, you never come out where you went in, right? You're going to go in, you're going to drift, you come out down, right? You've all had that experience. You look up and go, good gracious, our stuff's half a mile that way. She got in, she played. It drifted her down. She got out. The umbrella and chairs were gone. She lost her frame of reference. So she just was wondering. And it's, it's the week after July 4th. It's slammed. There are people everywhere. So now she's lost her frame of reference, and she's just randomly wondering, looking for mom and dad. They found her two lifeguard stations down because she lost the frame of reference and was just wondering, looking for some, look, look, where are they at, where are they at, where are they at. Here's the point. I think that describes most of our prayer life. You've lost your frame of reference in prayer, but you know you should pray. You know you're supposed to pray. You know you need to pray. You want to pray, but you lost the frame of reference to what guides you. And so now you're just randomly throwing darts at a board. You're praying because you're supposed to, but you don't feel empowered with it. You don't feel like it's getting anywhere. You don't really know what you're supposed to say. You've lost the reference point. What I want to encourage you with is, again, the reference point is the kingdom of God advancing. God's will. So, so think about the main things that you pray for. Whatever that is, what are the top three things that you pray for, right? Your kids, your, your, your marriage, your job, whatever it is. What are the key things that you pray for? And then take a minute and really be honest and think about what are the things, how do you pray for that? What are the things that you prayed in doing that? Most of our prayers, again, are focused on comfort and ease and prosperity. God bless them. God help them. But what does that even mean? Uh, I like Dr. J.D. Greer. He does a great little point of articulating how most of our energy and prayer are focused, wasted on, really, either prayers that God's already said he's going to do, so don't worry about praying for them, or things that don't really mean anything, and why are you even saying it? Right? We pray things like, God, be with us. Jesus like, yeah, I already said I was going to. Right? Matthew 28, never leave you or forsake you. It's in the book. I wrote it down. You don't have to pray that. I got it. God, give us traveling mercies. Okay. Drive the speed limit and don't text. Boom, traveling mercy. There you go. Done. Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of my body. God's like, dude, you ordered a double quarter pounder with cheese. There are some things even I can't do. All right? I can't bless that. Try eating some broccoli. I put in built-in blessings on that one, all right? Just try that for the nourishment of your body. But we spend so much time and energy praying things that either, A, we don't have to pray because God's already said, I got that. Or B, they're so vague and nebulous that we wouldn't even know if God answered it. God, give us a good day today. What does that mean? Praying for your church, God, give us a good Sunday. What's a good Sunday? No one got shot? I don't know. What are we praying? 
I really want you to take some time to think through what are you praying? When the rubber hit the road and this church had their key leader, in, had one leader beheaded, another leader scheduled to be beheaded as soon as the sun comes up, everything feels like it's falling apart. They didn't freak out and lose their minds. They didn't lose faith in God. What do they pray? Probably the same thing they prayed in Acts 4. God, I don't know what your plan is for Peter. I don't know if you want him to live or die. But I do know you want your kingdom to advance. So whatever that means and however that looks, empower us to do that. And we are not going to stop praying until you show us what that means. They were committed to the only thing that ultimately matters. And they believed that God was going to answer their prayer. Sometimes you hear people try to get super spiritual. Sometimes people will say things like, well, you know, I believe so much in the sovereignty of God. I'm not even going to pray. Because God's going to do what he's going to do. Or, hey, prayer is about changing you, not changing circumstances. And to that, I would say, you're wrong. And I can say that because the Bible says you're wrong. Prayer legitimately alters things. We pray not because we just should. We pray because things legitimately change because God's people prayed. The brother of Jesus says there are things in this world you don't have for one reason. You haven't actually prayed for them. Pray. Now I know, I understand, we get confused. Like, well, if God is totally sovereign and there isn't one rebellious molecule in the universe and he's in control of all things and he knows everything that's going to happen, how is it that we pray and stuff changes? I have a really, really easy answer. I don't know. I have no idea how that works. Not a clue. I don't know how God is totally sovereign, and at the same time, he is sovereignly created to where he works through the prayers of his people. I don't know, but I believe the Bible says that it's true, so I'm going to keep doing what the Bible says, even when I don't understand what the Bible says. What are you praying? And are you praying true, legitimate, fervent, faithful prayers for God to do Something that only God can do. It's exactly what they prayed. But, but second, I want you to see how they prayed it. So the second thing I want you to see is the church was earnestly praying together. So in verses 5 and 12, again, I told you the underline verse 5, it's an important one, where it says that um, earnest prayer for him, Peter, was made by the church. That word earnest is important. It means they were, it, it wasn't just this flippant thing they threw up into the air. They were in their guts calling out for God. They earnestly prayed. Verse 12 says they were continuously praying. They didn't stop. They continuously, fervently, earnestly called out in prayer for this. One of my favorite scriptures, teachings of Jesus that I think encapsulates this is Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Teaching on prayer, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. 
as you work through the Greek there, the ask, seek, and knock, they're in continual action, right? It's a, you're continuously asking, continuously seeking, continuously knocking. That, that, that knock word, actually, it, it just think about it logically. It, it, it explains this. When you go knock on someone's door, you don't walk up to it and just go, right? You don't do that. Tonight, we put the kids in the bed. Marie and I are sitting down watching TV or whatever, reading a book, and I hear, I want to immediately go, I bet someone's at the door. Right? I'm going to think a kid fell out of the bed and hit their head or something, right? When you knock, what do you, right? By definition, it implies multiple. And if they don't come to the door, what do you do again? This is exactly how Jesus describes praying. Charles Spurgeon, again, once said, some fruit you have to shake the tree a lot before it falls out. There's some prayers you've got to pray a lot before they come. Why? I, I don't have a good answer for it always. I don't know. But, but I think that God is seeking to build fr- faith in us. He's seeking us to trust him and not that act of prayer, right? We're, 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 we're not, um, this isn't witchcraft and voodoo. This isn't like you do this thing and then this thing automatically happens. It's not, you know, right? we're praying to, you know, Jesus Christ, not Harry Potter, right? And so I believe he wants us to have our faith in him and not in that, that, that sentence prayer we just offered up. And so sometimes he, he requires that we come at it more and more and more and more and more. But he answers that earnest, faithful, habitual, constant prayer. And, and not only were they earnestly praying, but I want to see real quick also they were praying earnestly together. Verse 5 says that uh, prayer for him was made to God by the church. Verse 12 says that many were gathered together and were praying. This is something they were doing together. This is exactly what we seek to do every Sunday. We want to come together and pray. That's why we try to lead you in some kind of corporate prayer time where you're praying together for two reasons. As we hear each other pray, we learn to pray. And we believe that as we pray together, something happens. And this is consistent, again, all throughout the book of Acts. You see it over and over and over again. They prayed together. God moved powerfully. In Acts chapter 1, they prayed together in the upper room for 10 straight days. The Holy Spirit comes, Peter preaches, and 3,000 people get saved. In Acts 4, they pray together. God fills them with such boldness, they turn the city of Jerusalem upside down. And by the end of chapter 5, 10,000 people are Christians worshiping Jesus, along of which some of them are the most ardent opponents to Christianity, the chiefs. The, the, the religious leaders, one of them eventually being Paul himself. We see here today in Acts chapter 12, they pray together. God blows up a prison and strikes down Herod, their chief persecutor. We saw uh, over the last several weeks, Acts chapter 13, where they pray together and God raises up Paul, the greatest missionary the world has ever known. God does powerful things when we pray together. God did it here. In fact, uh, I referenced it a second ago. I want to kind of show you how chapter 12 ends. So Herod has Peter in jail. It's his prized prisoner. Peter sneaks out, right? Herod is livid. He ends up killing the guards over the whole thing. He's embarrassed. But a little bit later, he's giving a speech. 
And the people listening want to puff him up, his pride, because they want to get something from him, right? And so they know Herod loves him some Herod, and so they're trying to puff him up so they can get something from him. So he gives a speech, and in verse 22, I'll kind of show you what happens. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. That's a bad way to go, right? I mean, if you were going to write out, here are the ways I would like to die. I'm going to bet eaten by worms is not on your list. But, verse 24, the word of God increased and multiplied. Moral of the story, don't mess with the church while she's praying. As we see this, brothers and sisters, what I want you to see is the power that comes from a church who prays. I want to read one more quote to you from Samuel Chadwick, pastor, theologian, great man of prayer. Chadwick says, The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. Brothers and sisters, this is God's call on so what I want to do real quick is, is give you a challenge. I want to challenge you with three things, all right? Just kind of put it all together. Challenge number one, do you have a regular prayer time with the Lord? Uh, I think it's D.A. Carson who said uh, the easiest way to embarrass a Christian is to ask them about their prayer life. <laughs> because the answer most of us give is, oh, not as much as I should, I know. So I want to encourage you with two things. Number one, don't, God is not a God of condemnation. Those of us, uh, Romans 8, 1, in Christ there is no condemnation. So we're not to be condemned in our prayer life. But we are to be convicted. We are to seek the Lord for empowerments to walk in greater boldness there. So I want to encourage you, will you commit today to seek the Lord in faithful personal prayer? Uh, second challenge, are you involved in a journey group? So I, I referenced earlier the group of people who were gathering together and praying. And that's exactly what happens with our journey groups. I want to encourage you to get involved with the group because in that you're going to have a group of people that are going to pray for you like they prayed for Peter. You're going to have that built-in group of people that's going to lift you up and pray for you, people that you can reach out to and ask for encouragement. It's exactly what these groups accomplish. best way you can find that is to download the app, click on the Find a Journey Group button, and we'll help you get plugged in from there. Find a group, a group that can pray for you. And last is this. Pray about being a part of a 24-hour prayer strategy. So I've got a vision for us as a church that we would be a group of people who 24 hours a day, seven days a week, are setting a request before God. All we need is 24 people. Um, 
Marie and I are two. That's 22. I had one come up to me already uh, after the first service. They put me down for 2 a.m. Check. So now we're down to 21. I'm asking the Lord to start by raising up 21 people that can join with us. Think about it. If God answers the fervent, earnest prayers of his people, can we get more fervent and earnest than creating up a strategy and committing ourselves to making sure someone in this body is constantly setting a request before the Lord, never ending? We're always, as a church, before the throne of grace. No matter what time of day or night, you know there's someone in this church that you can send a message to, and they're going to be praying at 1.30 in the morning, you get that phone call, you know you already have someone in this church before the throne of God. Now you just drop it in their bucket and say, go. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, calling out by name the people we're asking Jesus Christ to save. You don't think we're going to see awesome things from that? 365 a year, calling out for the Spirit of God to fall mightily on Cumberland County and beyond? Does that not sound like something God would say yes to? Let's do this. Seek the Lord. Is that something that He would call you to? If so, just tell me. And we'll talk about it. Brothers and sisters, are we ready for this? I'm going to ask our band to come up. We're going to finish our time here this morning, worshiping together. And the song we're going to sing is a song that maybe you're familiar with called We Believe. And the song is just a proclamation of who we believe God is. And again, we've been talking all morning long about having our eyes, the eyes of our hearts open to see who God is. And as we see who God is, we're drawn to Him. It's exactly what we're singing here right now. We believe this is who you are. We believe this is what you do. We believe this is what you say over us. We believe, we're calling out that God would give us greater vision and understanding as to who He is and then empower us to walk forward mightily in truth. So God, we thank You. We thank You that You are who You are. We thank You that You have revealed Yourself to us. We thank You, God, that You are so gracious and kind as to use us in prayer to push forward the kingdom. I pray, God, that You would empower us, Lord, as we sing to have with fresh eyes and understanding who you are. And as a result of that, God, all that we trust you to be and do. Thank you, Jesus. Do this in us for your glory. In your name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's worship.
God, that you would give us greater and greater and greater insight and understanding, God, as to who you are. We're drawn to you. Thank you, God. Reveal us, reveal to us through your word, God, more and more and more who you are. We can pursue you with all of our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Do this work in us for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you so much. Have a great week.